The purpose of life is to find something so meaningful and fulfilling that it protects us from the reality that life is suffering. Welcome to the dojo. Why would I start us off on a quote that on one hand sounds so positive and then end it on one that can be sound so negative, but I want to first say that I think uh, it's very important to suffer. I think we learn a lot through our suffering. It helps us to evolve and get to a better place. And there's so many lessons in it, not fun lessons to learn, but essential life lessons. And, you know, there's all kinds of philosophy that's out there that says there's, you know, salvation through suffering. And that's where we really grow. And uh, not to be negative, but there just seems to be a reality to that. And that the salvation comes from finding purpose and meaning in it and fulfillment in it. And I can't find a better example of anyone that I personally know than Jacob Atem. Dr. Jacob Atem is featured on uh, two episodes in our long form interview. And I wanted this dojo to be a reflection on some of the lessons that I take away from knowing Jacob personally as a friend and as a mentor. And from the interview that he gave to us, I think it's certainly worthwhile to take this time to do this. And I feel like it's very important because I receive him, you know, to be someone of a prophet. And I have reservations about using that word because it could be a little bit charged, but a prophet being somebody that has seen something and has come back to tell us about the reality of what this person has seen. And so Jacob has seen genocide, lived through genocide, survived genocide that had in Sudan killed millions of people. He's seen a side of humanity that is just unfathomable and, you know, has survived to tell what that was like and to come out with so many lessons for it. That's where where I'm I'm invoking the word prophet. And just these lessons are transcendent to me. So I want to highlight some of the lessons that I've learned from Jacob as a friend. And in the interview, if you take the time to listen to, I think really uh, are very clear. And it's an interview that it's the first interview that we did where we broke it into two episodes. We intentionally took our time through it. It might have a tone that's a little different than my other episodes where I feel like I bring a lot of energy and enthusiasm. That episode, I wanted to be very intentional, slowly unpack his story, be reflective. Uh, I hope you check it out. And if you haven't, I hope this entices you too in terms of the lessons that we've taken through Dr. Jacob Atem. And, and if you can't, haven't listened to the episode, just to basically say he grew up in Sudan and now what's known as Southern Sudan for 10 years was surviving a civil war in which his parents were slaughtered, uh, in which he was traveled thousands of miles in those 10 years trying to escape from people that were trying to, to kill him in very bad ways and you know, seen many of the people that he was traveling with murdered, slaughtered in this genocide, but also uh, trying to survive disease and famine and dehydration. You know, he even, uh, not in the interview, but would tell me about, you know, lions that were tracking him and all the different dangerous and deadly wildlife that they had to survive, internment, displacement camps, refugee camps. And he was uh, able to be enrolled into a program that was known as the Lost Boys, and was taken from Sudan 
to the United States at age 15. And through that opportunity, got himself educated and has subsequently started a nonprofit back in Sudan, uh, which he right now is in back in Sudan, helping to give supplies and staff up and train and continue to serve people in his healthcare organization. So uh, that's just a, a little bit about him and his story. But the first lesson that I take away from getting to know Jacob is perspective on my problems that I have. I, I certainly have no idea what it's like to go through what he has gone through in surviving genocide and all the uh, atrocities that uh, he's seen, seen other people live through. When I think about my day-to-day challenges as somebody that has a disability, you know, I can't drive, it takes me longer to do the work that I'm doing than, than someone that would have just the average eyesight. Uh, it's taken me longer to go through school. I know what it feels like to be self-conscious or, or feel stigmatized by it. One of the things that, you know, snaps me out of that is realizing, well, you know what? I do have eyesight. I'm not completely blind. I can see the colors in a sunset. You know, it could be worse. So that perspective of, of really understanding that there, there's always someone out there in the world that has it much worse than I have and certainly pointed to Jacob and saying, oh, my gosh, like, you know, he's gone through all this other kind of things. Like, I know where I, I'm going to have my next meal. I know that it's coming to me. I have shelter. Um, I have these things that he did not have and many people in our society do not have. So how is it that I can even complain even to myself about any of the challenges that I have in my life? My challenges in my life are, are typically challenges of affluence and abundance. These are like first world top one percenter type problems when I really compare myself to other people in that way. And, and I think this is a type of comparison that could be healthy. Like I've often said in this podcast where, you know, social comparison, as Eleanor Roosevelt, I think once said, is the thief of joy. And yeah, but in this way, I think it can be really good in perspective and really right-sizing the types of uh, problems that we have. So I think that this is a very good one for me to have in terms of he gives me perspectives on the problems that I think I have in my life that are, are really aren't problems or blessings that I really have. And I need to see them that way. So someone's always got it worse. And, and certainly he's had it worse in his life. Perspectives, number one. Resilience is number two. Oh, man. Like how does and he talks about this in the, in the interview? How did he not give up seeing his parents slaughtered, brothers and sisters slaughtered the day to day for 10 years, wandering thousands of miles? Uh, I think five minutes of his experience would be so traumatic that I would never recover from it. And yet he and, and others in that experience and even others experiences had the resilience. And when I ask him about the resilience, you know, how, how, did, how do you have the resilience to just survive? One of the things that he really points to is having a purpose bigger than himself. You know, he felt he had to continue on because others that he was with, he developed a bond with the other people that he was walking with for these many years, um, saw that his survival was important to help others survive and vice versa. So having a purpose bigger than ourselves was part of his resilience and to have determination, being determined, even when feeling dissuaded, even when feeling fear, really cultivating a sense of determination. Another part of resilience that he saw that was really important was taking one step at a time, you know, not being overcome by the broad sweep of and being overwhelmed by the magnitude of the situation that he was in. So instead of being overtaken by the fact that his country's in the civil war, millions of people are being killed, that there's 
all kinds of threats out there beyond that that include famine and, and dehydration and, and the natural world that can be very hostile. You're just, all right, I got to literally take one step. And then once I get that to that one step, I'm going to take the next step. Just surviving the next five minutes. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen the next hour. I got to get through the next five minutes. And in, in, in the areas of sobriety and recovery, I, I think there's something in that to be resilient. If we, you know, as the Stoics would say, we can be overwhelmed by the broad sweep of, of life and instead just focus at the task at hand one step at a time. I can really help to do that. He also talks about resilience, a component of it that, that was really important for him, and especially today, is to not live in the past. And if he were to focus on the past and all these atrocities that have happened and, and focused on why me, why this, why did that have to happen, hate the people that did this to his family and to his country, he would not be able to move on, move forward. He really centers himself in now. You know, I don't have control over the past. The past is what's, you know, has happened to me. I can't go back in a time machine and fix it, but I can take it and control what, what I choose to think, say, and do right now. And what he chooses to say, think, and do right now is to, to continue his education, to continue to serve, and be a, a role model and example for all of us. So yeah, perspective number one, resilience number two. You know, number three, I think for those of us that have disabilities and can point to the data that say we experience all these inequities, I often say in this program, people with disabilities are less likely to graduate from high school. Um, our unemployment rate tends to be two to three times greater. Our health outcomes, we tend to live shorter, sicker lives from preventable diseases. Um, we have less access to the things that we, we have in our community um, that were stigmatized. Well, guess what? You know, Jacob came to our, this country when he was 15 years old, could not speak the language, could not read the language. And yet at 15, as a freshman in high school, he learned our language and graduated from high school learned a language and graduated from high school within four years. And then from there, went to Michigan State, got his undergraduate, came to the University of Florida, got his doctorate, uh, went into John Hopkins and did work there. And at 15, he couldn't even, not only just not speak our language, but know our customs and uh, culture and all these other kind of things. And so he could have easily have said, you know, I'm less likely to graduate. I'm less likely to be unemployed. I'm more likely to have adverse health conditions from all the adverse experiences that he's been through. He talks, you know, in, in this episode about being stigmatized, called a monkey, and all these terrible things that were projected onto him. And certainly the data would probably point to, you know, I know some of the other lost boys that, that came to this country um, haven't necessarily been able to achieve some of the things that he's been able to achieve. Yet somehow, some way, uh, Jacob found a way and to beat these odds through opportunity, through hard work, through the resilience that I just mentioned through. He continues that on. So I think it's a good example for us as people with disabilities to say, yes, the data does show this, but there is a path. There is a way that we can still become educated, become employed, have good, favorable health outcomes, access. And there's, there's a path forward, too, to when we are, are stigmatized, to, to not let it slow us down, to not let it bring us down. His example and lessons there in overcoming the inequities is number three. There's a lesson here in unity. And, and he brings this lesson into the fact that this Lost Boys program, which was funded by the United States, was congressionally passed through bipartisan efforts, which means Democrats and Republicans both came together to agree that we need to fund this program to bring in these young people that were known as the Lost Boys, because it was just, 
you know, their parents had been slaughtered and it was just a group of very young children that were just wandering for thousands of miles for a decade. We need to invest in bringing them over to our country and exposing them to opportunities they certainly don't have there and to be able to do this out of humanitarian reasons. So people on who are completely divided on all these other kind of issues came together on this one and, and were united on it. And Jacob is so grateful. And so unity, there is places here, even in the world of politics, to where we can come together and we can say, um, we agree that this is this is important to do. And how can we come to do it in a bipartisan way? And that's not divisive. So he's very thankful for that. And also points to the United States in doing this and in doing many other things that, that aren't often in the headlines as being a country that is generous. I think what gets a lot of press is, is how dysfunctional our country is, how broken it is. And yes, we have our issues. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not disputing that we still don't have a long way to go. And a lot of the challenges of a democracy in the places that we're at, there's so many issues that we could talk about. And at the same time, I think it's important to not lose sight, especially compared to many other countries. We are very generous uh, with supporting humanitarian causes and needs that are out there. And, and I think that needs to be taken into account at the very least, as much as all these other areas that we have issues that we still need a lot of work and attention into growing on. We shouldn't just focus on one or the other, but it, it, it should be both. And he, he certainly has been a benefactor of this country's uh, generosity, and he's very grateful for it. So that's an aspect of unity. He also values freedom you know, that this country offers to us, and that this freedom has responsibility. It's not just free to do whatever we want, say whatever we want, do whatever we want. That's not necessarily uh, freedom, but freedom to be able to educate ourselves, to choose where to look, to have access, to, to live the independent life. But also it, it comes with a bunch of responsibilities as well. And I think this is a lesson that, yes, we can value freedom, but also need to take responsibility for it. In, in doing so, to not get trapped or, or locked into this idea that we're, we're now in a country that is so draconian. You know, I hear this a lot with masks and, and certainly with vaccines and, you know, all these other kind of things where people are you know, saying, like, hey, this is, you know, pre-Nazi, you know, this is Stalin. This is exactly what happened before all that and everything else. Maybe there's a point there. I'll still try and wrap my head around it, but I'm not sure. That's a fair comparison. You know, I hear people talking about, you know, the way our country's going, that it's so bad it's gotten to the point to where it's become somewhat mainstream conversation about, you know, are we heading to a civil war? Is it possible? If, if anyone advocates even for this notion and for this idea, go sit with Jacob. Go, go hear firsthand from somebody that survived, you know, survived a civil war of this country. If people are so divorced from the reality of what it's like uh, to have a country into their civil war that they're actually advocating for a civil war, I think that notion is preposterous. And not to get terribly political, I'm talking about the notion of a civil war. I'm not sure people who would, would be advocating for this idea have any idea of what it's like um, to, to go through a civil war. Uh, go talk to Jacob, hear his story, and how uh, the brutality and the evil and the hatred. Um, if, if we can't you know, learn from our, our past civil war where brothers were killing brothers, you know, families were turned to get uh, the, the malice and the hatred in the hearts of one another, um, it's, it's just ridiculous. So unity, uh, the fact that we are a country that came together for a humanitarian cause, agreed upon that, 
provided these generous opportunities for people that weren't a part of our country to come here, the value of freedom plus responsibility. So that's it. That's the other one that I, that I take away from Jacob is a lesson of unity and that it is possible and civil war is not the answer. Go learn from his experiences in that if, if that's an idea that you're buying into. The other one would be giving back. So Jacob, through advancing his education and the opportunities here, and through the work that he's doing here, has started and funded a nonprofit known as the Southern Sudan Healthcare Organization. This is an organization in Southern Sudan that he's helping to staff and provide resources to ensure that people have access to healthcare, which is a huge um, need there in his country. And Jacob is in a place where he could, you know, he could not look back. You know, he could easily say, like, I'm here in the United States, I'm moving forward. He could be so traumatized that he doesn't even want to go back or, or to give back. Um, he's certainly talented and smart enough to, to get into other types of industries that would provide a lot of material and financial wealth for him and his family versus taking on these efforts, which is more, you know, he did, he's, not, he's not forgetting where he came from and feeling the empathy for others that didn't have the opportunity that he has and the calling to bring access to health care for people that are there. And he's there right now. So, so he did this, the interviews that we posted at the beginning of February of 2022. And on February 14th of 2022, he flew back to Sudan, uh, spending two weeks there to help the organization out. And he does this intermittently. And, and, and when he goes back, like he, there's still uh, a, a real danger. When he goes back, there, there was a time there where he was having to be you know, evacuated by the military because of the violence that was there. And uh, he still keeps going back despite the risk, despite the dangers, because he cares so much uh, about his country and the people and the struggles. Um, so he's not looking forward and, and not thinking about where he came from. He's looking back and helping to be a hand up for people that don't have the means to help pull themselves up. So the ability to just to give back and remember where he came from is one. The last lesson I take from Jacob, and probably for me, you know, one of the most important ones is love wins. Love wins. How easy would it be for Jacob to hate? To hate the people that were, you know, trying, that killed, slaughtered his parents, his brothers and sisters in a bad way. I'm talking like with machetes. Uh, that wanted him dead in a, in a real bad way. That did succeed in, in, in killing some of the people that he was traveling with. Putting himself in a situation where um, disease and famine he talks about having to, he was so thirsty, you know, he, he had to drink his own urine. How easy would it be to hate the people that caused him to be in that situation? And the fact that he doesn't, and, and the fact that he, he forgives, and that he actually has empathy for the people and the cause that did this. Seeing that, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do is something that he lives you know, we did an episode where we talked about unconditional love. And he is a living example of how to still love despite having all these reasons to not love. And, and so when I, when I bring it back into perspective, you know, how divided do we get because we don't agree with somebody as opinion about to mask or not mask? Or we don't agree with, you know, somebody's take on diversity. Or we don't agree with somebody's take on politics. And we want to make them the enemy and develop animosities and resentments and grievances towards other people 
based on these petty, petty, petty things. Yet Jacob, who has much deeper reasons for, for perhaps having justification for feeling ill will towards our fellow human beings, rises above that with compassion, with humility, with love. The force of love. Love wins. And he's an example of how love wins. Because if he didn't love, he'd be suffering. He would be suffering from living in the past and for all these wrong reasons. And he's just like a roadmap, I think, you know, for, for how we can get out of uh, a lot of these self-defeating thought patterns that we have through appreciating differences, um, to not be a prisoner to our past, to look forward, to realize that, you know what? Yeah, life's hard. Go back into the quote, how I opened this, uh, this dojo. Life is suffering. At the same time, when we can find a purpose in that suffering, we can then work towards finding fulfillment from learning lessons, from becoming a better person through it. And Jacob's story, I think, is an example of that. And I'm really appreciative for the lessons of giving my life you know, more perspective, being able to show me how to be resilient, to be united, even with people that I don't agree with, to be inspired to give back and to help serve other people, and to know that in the end, the most powerful force in, in this universe, perhaps from humanity, is love. Never stop loving, even when we have all the reasons why to hate or, or to feel anger or to have resentments or to be offended. Love is the antidote. And so, Jacob, I thank you for being this so-called prophet, as I've dubbed you, because you've seen a side of humanity that I certainly have not. And yet you've come out the other end of it, a better person and one that I look up to a, a whole lot. And I hope if you haven't listened to that episode, take a listen to it. We've linked up some his website and TED Talks and all these other things to it. There's so much there. I look forward to, to continuing conversations with him and to always be looking onward and upward. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.